What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbors? How and why should I care about those around me, even my enemies? In our 10-part series titled Loving as We've Been Loved, we're exploring how God's great love for us is the foundation for both our loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Join us as we study the scriptures and see what this looks like in our everyday lives. Good morning. Um, so I don't know if uh, you guys know, most of you know probably, but we as an eldership team went away this last week and we got some really good training. We got some really good teaching um, from a man who's like twice our years in age and has walked so much before us. And it was really stirring and really challenging. Um, as a team, there were some really weighty things God did. He challenged our character and just, it was all biblical truth, but God used the word um, just to stir us and challenge us. And I found myself in there just, um, you know, there's different ways that we respond to when God's word challenges us and encourages us. And for me, I tend to just feel really unqualified and like, I'm going to throw the towel in and why even get up the next morning and get out of bed because I'm going to mess up somehow. So that's how I respond to, at times, challenges. And God just like brought me to this place of um, just remembering that he qualifies us and that he qualifies us. And that when we receive challenge from the word, when we are stirred for more of him, um, just how we respond to it and just responding in love and in freedom and in grace and being stirred that we can do it in him and we can do it in him. So I want to encourage you that this morning because I'm sharing out of 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, it does have some challenges. But also this week I was so impressed from God that he does want to challenge us and that we often love the messages. I often love the messages that are all just, you know, make me feel good, but how much there is in scripture that God does have us, want us to grow in. So I feel stirred to share what I have this morning on, on love. And as you know, we're in a series on love. Some of you might know, most of you know, loving as we have been loved. Or um, in other words, just loving how God the Father loves us. And that's what I'm sharing on this morning. But it's not just about love. Um, God's reminding me through this whole series that We have a mission, and we have a a commission, a great commission, to go into the world, to make disciples, to advance the kingdom, for the gospel to go forth, for genuine salvations. So we can't make it all just love. It's love as we've shared, and Steve has shared so much with intentionality, and just in this understanding that it's not just love. It's we're called into the world to advance the kingdom, to spread the gospel, for genuine salvations and lives to be changed, and disciples just willing to be discipled in every area of our lives to that's what our mission is. That's what we're called to. But love is important. Make no mistake. It is important to God and it's important and we're commanded to love. We've been given the greatest commandment. Love God first and then love each other. Love people. But love doesn't save people. Our love doesn't save people. And God's reminded me of that as well that salvation belongs to God. We can't love somebody into the kingdom as much as we try. We cannot love someone into the kingdom. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. God bringing to someone to revelation of their sin and their need for him. It is not about all the things that we can do. It's a supernatural thing. And so I feel like God just has lifted that off because love can be a heavy thing. 
I need to do more. I need to do more so that people can be saved. And God said, no, salvation is mine. And you love just because you're obeying me. And, but salvation belongs to him. I know Hugh was saved um, in a very, one of the very first church meetings at this church when it was meeting in a living room, my husband Hugh. And it, nobody loved him. He just came in. I mean, I loved him somewhat, but <laughs> as much as you can in the flesh. <laughs> Jesus loved him, but we didn't do, nobody did anything that day. He came into the meeting and the presence of God was there, convicted him of his sin, brought him to repentance. That's what saved him. So we just need to keep it in perspective of how important it is and the sovereignty of God. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 today. And it uh, challenges us. 1 Corinthians 13 is a lot about how we do church, the love chapter that's read at weddings and things. It's a lot about how we do church, though. It's really not for weddings. It's It's about us. It's about the motivation of the heart. And because Jesus cares about what happens in the church, because Jesus is revealed to the world and displayed to the world through the church, So it's important what happens here. It's God's plan to reach the world. We were reminded again this week, the church is God's plan. We are God's plan to reach the world. And this series actually started for me back in the fall when Jody and Vanessa Ramirez were here. I don't know if this word started in my heart because I don't know if mo- most of you were here or some of you were here, but Jody leads a church in California. He was here in the fall um, and just shared on the great commandment and shared on love and During his message, God just began to impart things. He just began to impart his heart just to love more of his people and stirred us as leaders um, and giving us more of his heart for people and to do more. And it, it caused this bit of restlessness like, okay, Lord, you've got my attention. What can I do? What can I do? What should I do? Should we go do this? Should we go do that? Should we start something? You know, we want to love more like you love. And that's when God brought me to 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about the heart. It's all about love and how it reflects the attitudes and behaviors of our heart. Not so much about the outward things that we do, although I know that we're called to those big things. We're called to those things. And I'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. So 1 Corinthians 13 defines love. What is God's love? So we don't have to wonder what is it. It defines it for us. And it tells us what love does. So how love causes us to act. Because we often hear love as a verb. We hear it a lot. It's in the... DC talk, rap song, and it's, <laughs> love is a verb, because that's from your generation. No. <laughs> and, you know, preachers use it, a lot of people use it, love is a verb, love is an action word. Kind of, sometimes it has this feeling of like guilt with it, or people wanting you to do something. Maybe it's give money, maybe it's serve in this way. Love is a verb, it's an action word, it's putting something on us, you know. But it is true that love is a verb. But what are the verbs? And what are the verbs that God uses to define love? And I think we'll be surprised. It's not as much about, I was surprised. It's not as much about the big things we're going to do for God and the outward things and the achievements and the, you know, the outreaches and this and that. It's about the heart. And it's the hard things, the really hard things that are reflected in our hearts. And I think as God always does and throughout the New Testament, Jesus always brings us back to it being about the heart. So 1 Corinthians 13 raises the bar for us of what love is. It challenges us that it's so much more than our 
acts of self-sacrifice and our good deeds. It's more than our big faith. It's more than the big things we want to do for God. It's more than all of that, and it's harder than that as well. So, excited. Let's go into the scriptures. First Corinthians 13, let's read verses 1 to 3, just the, just the beginning, the summary, those three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have, n- have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul is stating here to the church in Corinth that all of our giftedness, all of our knowledge, you may see the future prophetically, all of our faith to take things and go do big things, it can be nothing, unusable by God, if it's not done in love. If it's not done first our love for him and then our love for people. And then, even stronger, our good deeds and our self-sacrifice, selling all our belongings, giving up our body to the flames, are nothing as if we didn't even do them to God, as if we didn't even do them, unless we have love as our motivation, love for God and love for people. And I think, and that's challenging, that's so challenging, but I love it, that's, that's what God does, he just brings it back to the heart. And because some of the things we do, self can be in there. Self-interest is in there, oftentimes. So that's strong. It's a strong opening, but we're not supposed to get discouraged. We, we carry on. <laughs> we're not discouraged. We can persevere. Um, so let's just go and look at how God defines love. Because I do believe one of the reasons he's brought this to me is when he does have big things for us, when he does want to do something more, and we want more impact I do think this is how he gets us there, is he brings us back to the little things and the heart and how we can be challenged because those things matter to God. So that's why I'd be encouraged. It's not like we're not doing those things. It's not that God's not going to do those things. Let's look at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude and self-seeking. Those are all... Those are all things that we can struggle with, personally. Our own flesh, right, that comes in. And I just want to talk about a couple of them um, and just try to bring God's heart through it. Um, Just some of the things that stood out is God's love is not jealous of people. And it's something that God wants to challenge us. It's just this church in Corinth was, um, they were jealous. They were doing their giftings, were flowing from a place of competitiveness with each other wanting more space and wanting more room for their gifts. They weren't um, happy when the other people were succeeding. They were wanting that position or maybe wanting somebody else's gifts. And that's the things that the church in Corinth was struggling with. So that's why Paul was reading this, you know, strong word. And imagine just how repelling that is to an unbeliever to come in and to, if, if you saw a church behaving that way. They could be so gifted. They could be so great. They could do all these things. But... If it's competitive underlying it, and if there is self, it, it's, it repels the world from Jesus. And this is stuff that challenges me so much, so much. So it's not at all saying that this is what we, need, we are struggling with. It's the whole chapter that God just let him stir us where he wants to stir us and challenge us where he wants to challenge us. And as always, Jesus is our example. Jesus was so secure 
in his calling, but more importantly, he was secure in the Father's love for him. He knew the Father's love and the Father's acceptance, and that's what made him overcome and not be jealous and be secure in what he had and what he did. And we also can experience that when we know the love of God and the love of the Father. We can overcome those things. We can overcome temptations like jealousy, like pride. The next one it does not boast, it is not proud. God's love is not arrogant and proud. Jesus wasn't flashing his gifts or showing off or needing attention for the things that he could do. He was secure again in the love of the Father, and so he didn't need someone to see. All the things he can do. And this was something the church in Corinth was struggling with. And when we're secure in God's love, our giftings can just flow from this place of love for God and love for people, not this need for someone to see what we do. That's, that's about performance, right? And God. When we experience that love of God for us, then we can give that love. And that's why we say loving as we've been loved. That's how I've been loved by the Father, not based on the things that I do. That's how you're loved by the Father, not based on the things you do or how good you are at something or what you don't do. We can then give that love when people come into the church or when we meet, when we know someone in our workplace or within the body. We're not enamored by the things that people do, their achievements, their degrees. We're not enamored by their giftings. We just love the person for who they are. And that kind of love is actually offensive to the world at times because people are so used to being accepted and loved based on what we do in our culture. That when someone comes into the church, even, even believers, we do it. We come in and sometimes we think, hey, here's all the things I'm good at, here's all the things I can do. And, You know, I want to be recognized for those things. And that's not how God loves us. And so that kind of love is even hard for us to receive. Just that amazing love of God that it's disarming. It's disarming. So we, when we love like God loves, we just love everybody the same because of that. We just love people the same, whether they have status, wealth, gifting, doesn't matter. We love them the same. Not based on what we can get from them. No agenda, not because maybe they have a boat on Lake Michigan and we can go out on the lake on the weekends. <laughs> There's all kinds of reasons. <laughs> But that's not why we, we love people. We don't love people like that. And that's the goodness of God. And just in preparing this, I also saw the goodness of God in just how He loves us that way. When you reverse it and you come to the Lord and you say, You might be saying, or I might be saying, I don't have much to give. I don't have much to sacrifice as far as money. I don't have many talents or strong giftings. But because of this, because of God's goodness, He says, It's your heart. It doesn't matter that you don't have those things. Your heart, your heart for me and your heart for people, is more pleasing to me than somebody else's great faith and talents and big dreams and whatever else. Because that's what God cares about. So that's how amazing He is. He just uses us, and He can use anybody because of our hearts. So I thought about how this applies, how it looks in a church, and how it looks to me. Like, Lord, what does this mean for me? And I just felt a simple just encouragement from Him just when our worship, when we worship, when we worship lead, or when we just worship. 
We just worship because we love him. And we just worship because we love him and we love people. And when we preach, it's not to flash giftings or show off. It's because we just love people and we love the Lord. And that's where it comes from. Same as with all the other things we do. When we minister, bring a meal to someone, everything we do, just with that, an outreach, whatever it is, just for our God because we love him and because we love people. And that's just really simple practically how it looks. And it kind of makes it all simple again. So when we live in the acceptance and love of God, it enables us to overcome our own sin, our own jealousy and pride and selfishness. But it also enables us to love others despite themselves. Because <laughs> that's not easy either. <laughs> God's love enables us to love others. So verse 5. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So love is not easily angered and easily provoked. And this is a, a tough one because I think sometimes people come into the church and think, this is a body of believers who loves me and everyone is going to be so careful not to offend me and they're going to actually find out all the things that could potentially offend or provoke me and be so cautious about them and make sure that I won't get offended. But it's actually not true at all. And you will get offended and... This verse puts the onus on us, the body, who know God's love, to not be easily provoked, to deal with our sensitive sensitivities, to deal with our hypersensitivities, those hot buttons that maybe are there that nobody knows about and they intentionally push or they intentionally just rub you the wrong way. Unintentionally. I meant unintentionally. <laughs> nobody should intentionally be doing that. <laughs> so yeah, it's not talking about people... intentionally being rude or trying to hurt we shouldn't do that but we will get offended and the onus is on us to deal with our hypersensitivity and people who live in the love of god and this just really secure in him are not hypersensitive i believe that we're not easily provoked because that's what this says love is not easily provoked and i know because i used to be hypersensitive so i know and i know it's not easy but We need to at least have that in our mind, that this is what it should look like. When I know God's love, I should be not too sensitive about things. And this gets back to just accepting each other and God's acceptance of us. Most of us have strong opinions, or many of us, or I do, <laughs> about a lot of different things. <laughs> no. Hmm. So, you know, people are opinionated about everything in our culture. We have opinions about everything. We have opinions about... politics, strong opinions about how people should spend their money, if their kids should go to private schools or to neighborhood schools, if you should ride bikes instead of cars. We just have opinions about a lot of things. And so I think we just need to know that we're not trying to change and fix everybody to be like us or to look like us. That's not God's heart. Is there's something in our minds sometimes that thinks, well, when they just come around to seeing this the way I see it, then that's when they will have arrived. But it's actually not true. And God accepts us in our differences. And we also, if it's a body of love that knows the love of God and loves each other the way God loves us, then we accept each other's differences as well. Not thinking we need to fix everyone to be like us. It's not psychology. It's not psychology. It's through receiving the love of God. and through receiving his acceptance in our own lives, in our own hearts, that we can overcome these things. We can overcome. 
Back to verse 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Hopefully, I think this is the last hard one. <laughs> it's the last hard one for me. So back to verse 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God's love enables us to forgive. Forgiveness is so big, and it's so hard, but it's so big to God. People sin. We hurt each other. Um, leaders hurt us. People make decisions that indirectly or directly affect us and hurt us. And within the body, we definitely will be hurt. And God just like, forgiveness just is such a big one because when Jody, for lots of reasons, but when Jody Ramirez was here, who I mentioned in the introduction, who came to preach on the great commandment, loving God and loving people, and God was imparting so much of his heart, the most impactful part of his message for me had nothing to do with, and I don't even know if he talked about these things, it had nothing to do with outreaches or charities or what their church did or what their church was doing into the neighborhood. All the, the biggest impact of his message was on the simple act of forgiving this man who had harmed his family so much. I still cry thinking about it because as of knowing my husband and knowing the dads in the church as a husband and father, imagine if someone, it was the dad of his, the birth dad of his son, I believe. So his son's birth dad Someone inflicting so much pain on your family and your children, I mean, you don't want to love, you want to do the opposite. You want to kill them. And he shared, and that was the most impactful part of his message, was on the simple act of being able to forgive, just the supernatural act of being able to forgive this man. And that's what, that's, so when we say, how do we love like God loves? We forgive. We forgive each other like God forgives. We forgive others. It's not, again, all the other big things we want to do. It's, that's what love is. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness because that's what Jesus does for us. He forgives us. Forgiveness is hard. It's hard. God's love makes us secure instead of sensitive and easily provoked. And his love helps us to accept differences in each other, and to forgive one another. Thirdly, God's love sustains us. Verse 7, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's the love of God that sustains us in life and perseveres, helps us to persevere in life. It's his love through dark times, through wondering times, through waiting times. It's his love. That sustains us because his love always protects it always trusts always hopes always perseveres it's not reading books it's not trying harder it's not mantras it's revelation of his love in greater measure that helps us to persevere through whatever in life his love protects us it protects us when the enemy comes to bring condemnation his love protects us from that. We say, no, I'm loved by God. His love helps us deal with, I can't read. It helps us persevere when we're discouraged. His love helps us deal with discouragement and even some of, some of these things that sometimes we don't get right and we can feel discouraged. His love is what helps us to persevere and say, I'm going to keep running, I'm going to keep going. Because, yeah, we don't get it right all the time. But God loves me, and it's his love that keeps me going. 
keeps me running in the things that he has for me when we just remain and stay in his love. Even though we don't get it right all the time and we sin and we mess up, it's his love that perseveres for us and then causes us to be able to persevere and to carry on. Okay. It's his love that helps us persevere with, sorry, with each other. Staying committed to family. Matt talked about family this morning a little bit. Just us being committed to one another and persevering with this family and this body that God's placed us in. It's his love that helps us to do that, to persevere with one another through whatever. Doesn't matter what people you're persevering with or forgiving, this is where he has you. It's just the people that we need to, it's not who it is, it's just that his plan is for us to work together and work it out in family and in community. So persevering in that. And fourthly, God's love is eternal. Love never ends. Love never ends. God's love lasts and endures forever. It's a supernatural love. It's not a human quality. His love is supernatural. It's not something we can do in ourselves. It's, it lasts forever. Forever. Through time, into eternity, through our generations, our next children and their children, his love lasts forever. And I think, to me, taking it in the context of this chapter, the things that we do in genuine love for God and people will last for forever. They have eternal lasting quality, the things we do. This church, this church has done things from genuine love that will last into eternity. My family is saved My children are saved because of this church. Those are the things that God, that last for eternity. And I don't know why I just felt to say that, but God, his love is eternal. And the things we do in love, they're eternal. They last. They last. Jesus is revealed to the world through a church that loves like this. That's why he cares about love, because it's how Jesus is revealed. how he's glorified and how people will come in and be saved and be made disciples and be followers of him. And in concluding, um, at the end of the week this week, so the last session on Friday, um, he shared just on kingdom again and just bringing, bringing us all back to that perspective of everything we do in our lives, being in the context of a kingdom. And we're in the kingdom of God and Jesus is on the throne and he's the Lord and he's the king of our lives. And we're his subjects. And when he put that in perspective again for us, even though he shouldn't have to, it's something we always have to come back to, it helps. It just helps us to be able to have peace in the lordship of Jesus in our own lives. Saying, Jesus, you're my king. The things that you ask of me to do, I'll do. I don't need to take on everything in the world. I don't need to take on things that other people want me to take on. I don't need to go around fixing all the problems in the world. But there's freedom and there's peace in just that realization that I answer to my king. 
I'm his subject, and what he calls me to do, I'll do. And just in that heart that says yes to God, to the things that he calls us to do, because I know that we are called to big things. I believe we're called to big things. I know we are, each of us. And I think this week, God just brought it back for us to, it's, it's the little things then. It's the little things that we need to give attention to. These things, the hard things, so that we can go and we can do the big things and we can run in the things God has for us and finish the race. Finish the race. He talked on longevity and the long haul. Anyway, it was um, just stirring. And so, so that's, That's what I have this morning. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.